but really, really good stuff. I want to highlight coming up July 9 is our next prayer night. Uh, we're shifting it away just from the July 4th week weekend just because we know people got often a lot going on. But July 9, I want you to write on your calendar, 6.30 to 7.30, child care is provided. Um, I want you, I want you to make it work. I know, that, I know that schedules are busy. I know that you have a lot going on. We are trying to get rid of obstacles that would stand in the way of having the church come out to be able to pray together. Say it, it is, It's important for us to get together to pray. That Sunday morning is an opportunity for us to come together and worship. But um, there's something really, really special about the, the Sunday night gathering. Last time, it was really incredible to have there were 27 people here um, calling out God's name, and you could just kind of hear it in the room, people together and connecting in that way. It's an important night, and I want you to write it down. I want us to be together July 9. And um, now I, I need to call for your help. Part about being in this location right on Park Street is high traffic, and we're in uh, kind of a diverse set of neighborhoods, one of the reasons that we want to be here is that we could be a blessing in our community, that we could be a blessing in our neighborhood, and we need to just enter into that water. Um, one of our first ways to like, try and get active in doing that is coming up July 16th that we're going to have an open house. After worship in the morning, we're going to fire up the grills and do hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, Noah is going to bring Duke Otherwise, and if you haven't heard that, super fun kids' music, super quality Maybe, maybe some of the best children's music I've ever heard. Quirky and goofy and kind of nuts, but um, really creative and really quality. He'll be playing. Um, we're going to have other music going, and just we're, we just want to open up to say we're here. We're going to start walking around neighborhoods inviting people, and the invitation is this. Hey, we're here. Come get a brat. Come get a hamburger. We would love to meet you. We'd love to introduce ourselves to you. We don't have like lofty expectations that this day is going to like change the environment, right? Or do this incredible work. But, but I think it's incredibly important that we start showing up, that we start showing our face, that we start introducing ourselves to our neighbors. And in a, in a little way, I mean, I think a brat is a blessing, right? <laughs> Brats bless me more than they should. Um, we need, this is not for us. We're not doing, we're going to do a church picnic, I think later on, maybe in September. And that's more us focused to, so that we can get together, that we can connect. We did that in the park last summer. This is not for us. This is us being for others. And so we need us to show up that day to do work. There's all kinds of stuff. There's, there's a whole bunch of sign-up sheets out in the entryway, everything from setup to grill master to um, just all kinds of things where we need the church to show up. And if you could find your way after the service to say, I could do that, or I could do that, or I actually will do that, sign your name there, and we'll be in touch with you on how we can, um, how we can make this. We're going to block off the parking lot, uh, do kids' games and face painting, and we're looking at a bounce house and just kind of trying to translate um, or transform this space into an inviting space so we can get to know our neighbors, okay? I'm excited about that. Head, head out uh, after the service 
and uh, put your name on something. Uh, Colossians. One of the things that I love about doing an extended series through a book, how many of you, um, how many of you through, through this series have thought, oh my goodness, when does this series end? Anybody? Okay, there's some hands that are not going up, and it would be okay. One of the things that I love about uh, going bit by bit through a book is you start to see verses don't show up just by themselves. Like, we don't get to cherry-pick verses and then put meaning around verses that, that kind of stretch the meaning. When we study, when we go through a book, little by little by little, we start to see what the flow is that Paul is writing about. And so when we look into these verses, these are coming after he's talked about all kinds of stuff through the book of Colossians. In four short chapters, Paul covers so much ground. And it starts with Jesus. And it's centered around Jesus. Colossians, we've called it greater than to say, Jesus is greater than anything we've ever imagined. Greater than any goal we could come up with. Greater than any accomplishment. Greater than any philosophy, any thought greater than any identity I could create for myself. Jesus, Jesus, it's not just a nice little saying to say, Jesus is the answer for whatever I'm struggling with or whatever I'm facing into or whatever I'm not struggling with that I maybe should be. Jesus, Jesus is at the center of all of it. And after Paul gets done talking about Jesus and raising the name of Jesus in chapter 1, he starts to turn in chapter 2 to say, Jesus changes our life. Like, Jesus is worthy to be praised, but he isn't just high and mighty. He's also low and personal, and it changes us. That the life that I used to live, I get to discard. I get to put it off. I get to put it away. I actually die to that old life. I die to death so that I can be raised to new life in Christ. And in, in chapter 3, he turns that corner real quick to say, you died to an old life. In 3.1, he says, you've been raised to new life. This is what Jesus does. And there's stuff like Beth said this morning. Our spirit is made new. And our mind and our soul and our, like there's other stuff in our body that we just keep putting off to say, I want to be continually transformed to be more like Jesus, to come more awake, to come more alive. And there's stuff that I got to push off. And the more and more I see Jesus, the more and more I see my sin. And that doesn't have to be shame and condemnation. That gets to be, thank you for showing my sin so that I can push it off. You already did the work in me. And I need to continue to wash off in you. And as I'm raised to new life, there's more and more and more that I want to keep putting on. And Paul says, in this, it's not just about you, it's about us. There's a new community that's created, and it doesn't matter where you've come from or, or what background you have. We are made equal. We are shown as equal. We are shown as brothers and sisters with a father together. And we come together in Jesus and he says, it changes the way you relate to the Father. It changes the way you relate with each other. And Paul, we've just got done with a section saying, it changes the way you relate at home. 
in your marriages and in your uh, relationships with your kids, with your parents, with those closest to you. It changes your work relationships. It changes your, your friendships. It changes the way we relate to one another. And then Paul goes on now and it says, it changes the way we look out. So Paul said, it changes the way I look up. It changes the way I look in. And now Paul today is going to say, it changes the way I look out. All throughout this, I think we can see as we've tried to start to change our language too, the gospel needs to, needs to be an umbrella over everything that we do here at Damascus Road. And as we, as we center ourselves in the gospel, we want to talk about gospel worship. That all of our lives are to be lived as worship to God. And when we come together on Sunday morning, it's not that we would receive primarily, it's that we would give. It's that we would worship. And in giving, we do receive, but our, our focus is on our work. Our focus is on our worship and what we give God. Like Leslie said, God delights in hearing our voices. Some of you are surprised to hear that, that he delights in your voice, but he does. He delights in us being able to sing together. Worship and gospel discipleship, that is, how am I growing God doesn't want me to just stay the same. He wants to walk me along in a process of getting closer and closer to him. And it's not just about me, but it's about us, right? There's a we involved in discipleship. And then gospel mission. To say this is not just about our relationship with the Father or our growing close to him together. This is about the gospel being lived out. The gospel being lived out. Paul jumps into that today. So I want to start um, just by telling you a little bit, a little bit of a story about me, and then ask you a question. I grew up in the city, not in a big city. Fond du Lac is about forty thousand people, so it's a it's a small city. But I grew up on a block. I grew up with neighbors like right next to me. Um, I actually was close enough to my neighbor uh, that when I would. I, like, I thought about if I had a long enough ladder, we could open windows and crawl back and forth. That kind of like how close your neighbor is. Um, and it would have ended disastrously. But that's where I grew up. I loved kind of living in the city. We walked uh, a couple blocks to school. We just kind of ran around. I didn't understand country life. I didn't understand living far out away from people and why you would want to do that. I didn't understand... Uh, the guys and girls who would huddle around in this high school parking lot looking at their pickup trucks. Like, it's a truck. Like, I get it, but why are you looking at it? Uh, there, is, there was a culture around that that I just didn't get. And quite honestly, I, I don't know if I ever externally did it. I think I did internally mock them. Think, oh my goodness, a truck is a truck, and you guys are obsessed. It was something different. It was something that I did not grow up with. But then I went to college, and I met a really cute girl named Leslie who grew up on a farm. And I started to enjoy country life. And she invited me to her place, and I started to experience kind of open air. Like, I had grown up camping, but that's different from the place you live. Leslie grew up on a farm where you could walk out and look over a field. You could see the sunrise and the sunset over an expanse not like over a rooftop, right? And she introduced me to like 
the smells of the farm, which is wonderful, but not always. Um, and animals and like horses as pets and just being able to like jump into a different kind of life. And an appreciation grew in me so that I think a pickup truck would be pretty cool to own. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with a pickup truck that I never, never got before, but I would, I would value that. I changed a lot from when I was a kid to where I am now, even just in the way that I see some things. How have you changed? How have you changed in the last year or in the last decade or from when you were a child? How have your goals changed? How have your relationships changed? How has the way that you see the world changed? The gospel changes us, right? The gospel changes us. It changes the way we relate up with God. It changes the way we relate with the people closest to us. And it changes the way we see the world and we live out. And Paul has just just stopped talking about, or he's just been talking about, a lot of up and a lot of in, a lot of our relationship with the Father and our relationship with each other. And now he, now he turns and he says, I'm going to go back to up, and then I'm going to start to talk about out. Okay? So let's read, let's read in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, your word is a gift that you don't want to remain a mystery. You are bigger than any thought that we could come up with. You are beyond our understanding, and yet at the same time, you offer yourselves to us. You offer yourself that we could know you. And we want to know you truly. While we can never know you fully, we want to know you truly. Would you open our eyes this morning? Would you open our hearts this morning? Would you open a door in us that would open doors into the future? We love you and we love your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul, as Paul has finished talking about, or as he has just been talking about up and in, before he goes to out, he goes back to up. Because he wants to protect us, I think, from just starting to go with the flow, just starting to say, okay, I want to I do the right things. It's always, always meant to be connected with the Father. We would never lose sight of our connection, our relationship with the Father. And he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. 
a whole bunch of other translations. This is the English Standard Version that we use regularly here. A whole bunch of other translations uh, say, devote yourselves. That means make prayer a priority. Not, and not just like a kind of a daily checklist, but as a continue steadfastly. Make this something that you do all the time. Make it a regular pattern in your life that you pray. And he says, he says, being watchful in it. And the being watchful is not so much like at certain times in the New Testament, we're told to watch for the day that Jesus comes back. I don't think that's as much what's going on here as like in the garden where Jesus says, stay awake, be watchful with me. Like uh, the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is so weak. Be watchful. When Jesus, when they ask him how to pray, and, and part of his prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think that's some of what Paul is getting at here. Be watchful. There's so much so, stuff going on in your life that you need to be constantly in tune with the Father. That when we lose sight of the Father, we lose sight of who we are. And we start doing things that are actually a violation, a violation of who we are, a violation of our identity. And Paul says, keep watch. Continue steadfastly being watchful, being watchful. Pay attention to who you are. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to your feelings. Not so that you can just repress them, but that so you can let them out, so that you can give them to the Father and say, what do I do with this? I'm so angry right now. The answer isn't just, don't be angry. The answer is, let me confess that. Let me share that. Let me, let me vomit all over the place with God. It's safe for me to do that. If we don't do that, we end up just exploding or imploding. And it does not look pretty if we don't get to share what's going on. If we got stuff that we're struggling with, the, the right answer is not just to say, don't do it, stop, don't tell anybody about it, just keep it hidden, stop doing it, hope that you stop doing it, hope that you stop struggling with it. It's to say, I don't have to fear condemnation anymore. This, I'm free to let this out. I'm free to open this up. Be watchful. Look at what is going on in you and bring that to the Father. And he says, so he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And he says, with thanksgiving. This, so this has become a refrain through Colossians. Over and over and over, gratitude and thanksgiving have come up to say, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. That doesn't mean be thankful for everything. Paul says in a different place, be thankful in everything, right? Give thanks in all circumstances. That means no matter where you are, if you're in Christ, you have so much to be thankful for. That the life that you used to live is dead and gone, and you have been invited into a relationship with the king that changes who you are. Like, be reminded of that and be grateful for that and give thanks for that. The Old Testament is full of this command to remember. Remember what God has done. Remember 
the mighty arm of God who fought for you, who brought you victory, who time and time and time and time again showed up. If you're struggling with stuff, one of the ways to combat that is to focus on gratitude. Not just to cook up gratitude, to think positive thoughts, but to remember who God is to remember what he has already done for you, to remember the things that he has already blessed you with, and not to get so focused on the things that he has blessed you with, but that he has blessed you with himself, that he has blessed you with a relationship with himself. Circumstances change, right? You will go through really hard times where God is not giving you blessings as we would expect it. He is always good. And he will always be close to you. And you will always have him. That can't be taken away. Well, Paul says, pray and keep your connection with the Father and be watchful about what's going on in you and be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you have a 24-hour quiet time. That means... You work into your patterns in life a rhythm, an awareness of walking with God, that God is with you, that you are with him. And as he's with you, it changes the way that we see. What could you do? What, you, what could you do that could be a reminder for you to pray? Some people, uh, some people uh, like tie strings around their wrists and just they look at it in the Old Testament. Um, they had the Shema, which was this, old, this grand prayer that they posted on their doorposts that said every time they left their house, they prayed this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Like they, every time they left the house, they prayed that prayer. Every time they came back into the house, they prayed that prayer. And it was a physical reminder for them to say, our family centers around God. It's beautiful and it's a reminder. What could you do? Maybe you put something up on the doorpost of your home and you start practicing that. Every time I leave, every time I come home, I'm going to pray. Maybe you put something right next to your bed that every time you wake up in the morning, you look at that and you say, before, before my feet hit the ground this morning, I'm going to pray. And before I turn out the lights at night, I'm going to pray before I shut my eyes. Maybe other kinds of reminders. You write it in a dry erase on your bathroom mirror. You say, I just, every time I look at it, I'm going to look straight at a reminder. And it's not just to say, because I want to do the right thing, but I want to create in me rhythms of remembrance, right? I, I want to be conscious of the Father. So this is not just an up process. This is not, prayer is not just about me and the Father. Prayer is an in. When Paul says here, continue steadfastly in prayer. In other translations, when it says, devote yourselves, we in the West, we in America think that's a singular statement. Devote you. And what Paul is doing through all of Colossians is devote yourselves. The assumed uh, subject when he says continue steadfastly is y'all. 
right, is you all continue steadfastly. That is pray together. We got examples of this. You know, you know Mike Halstead? Mike Halstead has this pattern, this commitment that says, we don't finish an interaction without praying. Most of the time, that's true. It's rare that I get away from him without him saying, all right, brother, let's pray. And it's good. There's a pattern and a rhythm to say, continue steadfastly. We pray together. That's one of the things that marks us. We pray together in an organized way, in an informal way. When we are together, we need more prayer. Keith and Karina and Gary and Christine pray steadfastly. They're here about every Sunday morning before worship. And if you sneak up on them, I'm sure they would, I'm sure they would let you join in with them. But they're praying over you. They're praying over the church. They're praying that God would inhabit this place. And we know he is, but that we would come awake to that, that we would respond to that. They have been praying steadfastly for so long, and we need that. Thank you guys for praying. What a gift that we have people who pray all the time for our church. It's part of the reason that we're trying to promote more emphasis or give more emphasis to coming together on a Sunday night once a month, that we would be a church that would continue steadfastly, that we would commit ourselves to pray. So as a confession, I feel like I need to stand up in front of you and say, I need to personally grow in this area. Prayer can be awkward, even for a pastor, because it's natural to have a conversation. It's weird sometimes to say, okay, let's pray now. Like, that feels awkward. And personally, I need to stop letting the awkwardness be a real roadblock. I need to, so I, I, need to, I need to grow in my ability or my commitment to pray in my relationships with people, with you, and not just have conversations, but prayer together. If we're together, would you remind me that that's something that we ought to be about? And if, and if I don't bring it up, I give you all kinds of permission for you to say, hey, can we pray? I heard you say that. Let me hold you accountable so that we can grow together. I would love that, okay? We have so much room to grow in prayer, and I'm the first of us to grow in that way. Paul says, continue steadfastly. I want you to keep watch. This is about, this is about an inward prayer. And then he says, and I want you to pray also for us. Now, say so I bet Paul wants him, I bet Paul wants them to pray for him. I bet Paul would love for them to pray. He's sitting in prison. How much would Paul love to get out of prison that he's been wrongfully convicted, that he's sitting there, that he shouldn't be there? Would you pray that God would move, that he would break change, that I could get out and get on my way? And that isn't, isn't actually what he prays. He says, I want you to pray for an open door. Okay, open door to prison would be one thing. I would like you to pray that God would open this door that I could leave 
this place. He says, I want you to pray that God may open a door for the word. What's going on here? I don't want you to pray that my situation would change. I want you to pray that God would open a door for the word. And he says that I may declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I'm in prison. I'm in prison, Paul says, for declaring the mystery of Christ. Pray that I'm able to keep doing it. Pray that doors would open that I could keep doing it. Paul has a unique opportunity because the prison guards are, they can't get away from him. Right? Like they think Paul's the prisoner. Paul's like, you're actually my captive audience. I'm just going to keep proclaiming the mystery. I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. I'm going to tell everybody I get a chance to, if God would open a door that I could proclaim it, I'm going to do it. He doesn't pray for an open door in the prison, out of the prison. He prays for an open door right where he's at. He wants an open door for the gospel, not for himself. What do we pray for? Often, often I think our prayers are centered around comfort. And that's not a bad deal. God, would you come and would you show up in this? I'm struggling. Would you show up? Would you help? Would you heal? Would you take this away? And I think that's a good prayer, often. But Paul shows us a little bit different way of praying. Paul prays, Not so much, God, would you give me comfort, but God, would you give me courage? God, would you give me strength? Where I am, I don't need you to take the load off me. I need you to give me stronger shoulders. So do you you know that you plus the Holy Spirit is like super strong? Super strong. That you can't have a weight that crushes you when the Spirit is dwelling inside you. You can't. You plus God is better than any army, any battle that could come at you. And so our prayers can change from God, don't let me be taken out, which he won't let happen. God, please come in comfort. God, please give me courage. Please let me recognize the strength that is already within because I have you, not from me, I don't cook this up in me. By myself, I am not very strong. But with God in me, that is the reality, I need an awareness of what is there. You need an awareness of what is already there that say, God, show me the strength inside. Show me you inside me. Paul at times prays, for comfort. He says, I noticed this thorn in my side. People argue about what that is. It was a it was a bothersome thing for him. It was a painful thing for him. It was a struggle for him. And he says, I prayed that God would take it away. And I kept praying that God would take it away. And God showed up to Paul and said, No. Or at least not right now. And God says, my grace is sufficient. I want you to learn to walk with the thorn 
because I'm bigger than the thorn. Because you're okay even with the thorn. You can be strong even with that struggle. And so I would recommend praying, God, take this struggle away. And yet if you have something better for me, then give me the strength to endure it. That is not, I don't find that to be a faithless prayer. I find that to be a a prayer that said, God, I want what you want for me. I want to live in an awareness of your presence. And if you don't want to take it away, make me stronger. Sometimes God sends storms. Like God tells Jonah, go this way. And Jonah goes the other way. And God will not relent. God will say, oh, it's going to get wavy. Because, not because I'm punishing you, because I want you. I want you with me. I want you walking with me. And I want what's best for you. Jonah goes overboard, and it doesn't end there. I mean, the storm ends, but for Jonah, the adventure is just getting going, right? Like he's swallowed by a fish. Explain that. And then the fish throws him up, which is a different kind of experience. Then God, do whatever it takes to get my attention. Do whatever it takes to get my attention. Is God punishing Jonah? I don't think so. Is God taking away the struggle? No. He's helping Jonah walk into into a struggle. God may not always take that away. That doesn't mean your faith is wavering. And to pray, give me courage, not comfort, I think is a bold, bold prayer. Paul says, would you pray that God would open a door for me, that I could proclaim with clarity the mystery of Christ? I want to know Christ, and I want people to know Christ. To the best of my ability, I want to be able to explain that to people. And then he turns the corner. And he's been focused on up. He's been focused on praying for each other. And now he says, and now let's move out. Be wise. Live wisely. It says walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walking is this metaphor for the way you live. Is how do you walk out your life? How do you step by step go through your life? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of time. People will see the way we live. The question is, what, what will they think when they see the way we live? When they get to rub shoulders with us, when they get to see the way we uh, interact with our kids, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, when they get to see what's important to us, when they get to see what our priorities are, what will they think? What does that show them about who we are and what we believe? Because... What we believe shows up in how we live, right? What we really believe shows up in how we live. And Paul says, I want you to walk wisely. I want you to live in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where, do you, uh, where are your goals set? And what does that communicate about what you believe? Psalm 90, verse 12, uh, recently came to mind for me. 
as I was, um, as I was focused in on ways that I need to keep growing. Psalm 90.12 in the New Living Translation says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. That means I don't have unlimited days here on this earth. I have a set number of days. And when those are done, that's all I get in this life. I want to use them well. And the writer here, the writer here says, teach me to realize the brevity of life. Teach me to number my days, to walk kind of with the end in mind so that I don't get to the end and like, oh, I wish I had made more of that. I want to walk wisely. And Paul says, I want you to do that out. I want you to do that for people who are not here, but for people who are in your community, for people who are in your lives, but not in the church, in your lives, but not in Jesus. Outsiders. And he doesn't mean outsiders like they could never be insiders. He means outsiders like they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing not equal about them. They don't have Jesus in their life. You get to offer that. You get to be an ambassador. You get to be a representative. You get to carry Jesus to them. You are carrying Jesus to them. The way you're living is communicating. And Paul wants us to wake up to how we're living. He says, in the way that you walk out your life, be wise. And then he says, in your speech. So earlier in Colossians, at the end of chapter 3, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, there's kind of this echo here in the way that you walk and in the way that you speak. It comes back again. Let your speech be always gracious. That your speech is always giving grace. Let your speech be always seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If, if you're a person who always wants to win an argument for Jesus, you're not really following this. And Paul says, I want, I want your speech to be full of grace. Ephesians 4.29 is this beautiful, beautiful verse. Let no corrupting talk, let, and it's like corrupting is rotting. Let no dead and dying thing come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, grace isn't soft, right? Grace can be the hardest thing you've ever heard, but is the way you talk offering grace to other people? And if not, is it because you need to hear a word of grace for yourself? because you don't have anything to offer, then start there. But if you yourself have received grace, then start to look at how you can extend grace to others. And he says, seasoned with salt. They're like salty talk. We think of salty talk like uh, potty mouth, right? Like that's coarse. Paul has a different kind of understanding of it. Paul's like, I want it to be full of flavor. The way that you talk should represent a life that is full, that is abundant, that says, I want more of that. You put a little bit more of that on my steak because I want that. I want that in my life. That we would be people 
who could speak with a flavor, with a vibrancy about life. Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. And he's getting at some of the same thing. I want people to see you, to be seen, to be a warning, to say like a lighthouse, stop, you're going to crash, it's going to turn out bad. But also to be a guide, to say, come this way. I want you to be salty as if to say, like there's a preserving element and Paul really distinctly here says there's a flavor element seasoned with salt. That it would, your life would taste good to others. People would want to sit down with you. They would want to hear what you have to say. That that's actually a winsome thing. Now, that doesn't mean also that you're just always speaking nice things. But you're speaking flavorful, life-giving wonderful things that give life to others. The application here is who needs to hear grace in your world? Who in your world needs to hear grace? How can you build grace into your life and your speech? The, the salty application is go have fun. Please, go have fun. Do not make following Jesus something that sucks the life out of you. Because when you do that, it will suck the life out of others. There is a way to be God-honoring and full of life at the same time. Go have fun that builds your life and builds the life of others. Enjoy the gifts that God gives you. You don't have to live with your head down when God gives you something good to be ashamed to say, oh, I shouldn't. I shouldn't enjoy this. Other people will look at me and judge me. If God gives you something good, enjoy it. The last thing you want when you give somebody a gift is for them to be like, oh, no, I couldn't. Yes, you could. I'm giving it to you. Please enjoy it. You're going to make me mad. Please. And God gives us things, and we say, oh, I couldn't. He's like, come on. Let me give you something. Allow me to give you something. Enjoy what God gives. But don't be settled to enjoy the gifts God gives you. Let it increase your enjoyment of God himself. That we would never be satisfied with God's gifts. But we would be fully satisfied with God himself. That those gifts would lead us to him. Not just like stop us short of him. We enjoy God. We enjoy what he gives. For some of you, you just need to rest. You just need to rest. You are not enjoying life. Life is too strong. Like it's overpowering you right now. And you need to, you need to pray that the strength of God, that the Holy Spirit in you would reveal itself as strength in you. And you need to rest in him. And let him show you the abundance of life so that you could pour out on others. The gospel, the gospel changes us. It changes the way we relate with the Father. It changes the way we relate with each other. And it changes the way we relate out, up, in, and out. Like a city boy learning to love country air, learning to love uh, wider open spaces. Let the gospel continue to change you.
because there's more there than we even yet recognize. We're going to move into a time of communion which focuses on Jesus, who he is, what he gave, and what he continues to give. And as Paul today prayed for an open door to reveal Jesus, the Bible says that God waited for an open door to reveal himself to us. He waited for an open door. He waited for just the right time for Jesus to show up, to give himself to us. And as we remember, as we remember what Jesus did, we can pray thanksgiving that God was on the lookout for an open door that could penetrate our world and bring us back into relationship with him. Communion is a time to honor his sacrifice, to remember his sacrifice, and to look forward to embrace the life that he's giving. And then we're going to worship again. Worship comes out of awe, and it comes out of gratitude, and it's something we give back to God. So our service is not over. We have work yet to do. Let's pray and worship. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you put life in us, that we get to worship you, that we get to recognize what life can be with you. I pray that you give us courage 